Hey everyone, this is Adam Ellenboss from Nightlight Astrology, and today I will be joined by my friend and colleague Alex Amorosi to discuss your horoscopes for the month of June. So we're going to be looking at a series of transits that are happening, especially between the Leo and Taurus houses in your birth chart, taking a look at those two houses and some of the significant transits of the month of June, and just getting you ready for an exchange between those places in your birth chart based on your rising sign. Of course, you could listen to this for your sun sign if you prefer. Recommend your rising sign because it'll be the one aligned with your birth chart. But um, you guys know if you watch my channel, that's always what I recommend. At any rate, that is our agenda for today. Before we get into it, as always, don't forget to like and subscribe. Share your comments or reflections because it helps the channel to grow. We love hearing from you guys and hearing uh, your own insights on some of these transits. You can find a transcript of today's talk on the website, nightlightastrology.com. I'm going to take you over to the website right now because we are also in the midst of promoting my upcoming program, which is called Ancient Astrology for the Modern Mystic. Uh, and the program starts on June 11th. So it's coming up real soon. And it, there is still time to register. I'll take you over there right now. So if you go to the courses page and click on the first year course, you can scroll down. And over the course of a year, you learn all there, there is to know about ancient Hellenistic astrology, getting you set up to read birth charts for other people or to start a, start a practice of your own. Um, or for some people, they'll just take the course because it is a part of your uh, deepening your hobby or your spiritual interest in astrology, which I can't recommend highly enough. You don't have to become a professional astrologer to take this, you know, to take this course. That doesn't necessarily have to be your goal. A lot of people take the course and come away with um, skills to read charts for yourself and the people that are close to you for the rest of your life. And that itself is a great, uh, tremendous gift. Uh, so anyway, there's 30 classes on the year. They're all held via webinar. Uh, you can attend live or remotely. And everything is kept on a class website so that you can go at your own pace and download everything and listen and listen to it while you take your walk or you're on the treadmill or whatever. Uh, so the program is very flexible in that regard. We have breakout study sessions with tutoring staff in between major units of study. We have a forum discussion staffed with tutors that are there to answer questions if you have them. We have a lot of bonus material and optional assessments and quizzes and recommended reading and all sorts of stuff. So you can go as deep with the program material as you feel called to do. Anyway, if you have any questions about the program, you can email us, which is info at nightlightastrology.com. And at the bottom of the page, you'll find the enrollment options. Early bird payment saves you $500 off. There's a 12-month payment plan you could also use if you prefer to spread the payments out a little bit more. And then need-based tuition assistance. We do still have a few spaces left. They are uh, almost gone. So make sure you apply with a little bit of time that you still have left before the program starts on the 11th. That is there for people who really want to take the program, but the price point is out of the range of your budget or you are hurting financially in some way but really want to take the program. Uh, we trust that people will not abuse it. We'll take, uh, we'll use that offering if you really need it. People who can afford the program, we ask that you pay normal price. And if you need a little bit of help to make it happen, uh, try the need-based tuition assistance. We'd be glad to try to work with you. All right. Well, that's it for announcements today. And I am so glad to uh, welcome back Alex to the show to uh, help us take a look at horoscopes for the month. Hey, Alex. Yo, bro. <laughs> We're back. We're back. Another month. We survived. We, we lived through eclipse season, man. Mars is also out of its fall in my 12th house. Oh my God. Yeah. Let me, I, I'm, we're just going to move on. Yeah. <laughs> it was a I whole hell of a six weeks. It's funny. Like the, I had, I dealt with some interesting, like Mars and cancer. Um, one of the weird things that I dealt with was um, just a little bit of like some gut health issues. Mm. And I, I've actually was able to, I, I'm pretty sensitive with my diet. So when I'm, I'm like, oh, I, I know what I'm eating and it's, it's bothering my stomach a little bit. But one of the things that I, that I found that also became like a, uh, I'm pretty sure it's unhealthy, but anyway, I found these, I'm not advertising. This is not an advertisement, but I found, I won't even show the label, but I found these come root beer flavored kombuchas. Root beer I'll flavor? tell you right now. Yeah. Dude, it's root Amazing. beer kombucha. Because the, th the thing is, is that like it has very little sugar and I don't drink soda right. at all, yeah. but it's a little, I do like kombucha and it's like a little bit like having a soda again. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it, like kombucha for me is like, like something that I'll do when my gut needs a little bit of adjusting. Cause I feel like yeah. the kombucha, the probiotics and stuff kind of helps. So that was a random thing that came out of Mars and cancer for me. Cause I was like, Oh, this is interesting. There's like a little, I'm like getting into my probiotics and my probiotic kombucha and so forth. But, um, 
the cancer part was like, and you get a little nostalgic trip back to childhood with some root beer. <laughs> I could just see the kombucha marketing staff going, how do we get people to drink their kombucha? <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they get root beer. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah, totally. I'm like, eh, there's something. And I'm not, I'm not going to uh, do what I always do, which is when I find something like this, it's like, then it, it becomes like, oh, maybe I'll have one every single day, you know, <laughs> I'll have my root beer kombucha all the time. Exactly. <laughs> this is the answer, man. I found it. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I uh, am really excited to look at that. We glad that we survived eclipse season mm -hmm. with the Mars and cancer. That was mm -hmm. insane. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like I learned a lot about Mars and cancer though. I mean, I, it was like a crash course in Mars and cancer because I feel like every time a planet like that comes around and it takes a long time before it comes back and you're an astrologer who's studying and always learning more about astrology, those transits can be really valuable for learning more about astrology as, as well as being like, you know, personally transformative. I think it's like that idea of you always want to take notes on a transit because as much as you practice, you always learn more. And even like, I was just learning little, little like details. Like I'm like, Oh, this is interesting. It's like, I'm protecting the past, the nostalgia, but I have to actually cut loose from that in order to, like, there was a lot of that sort of thing. And very, you can see why Mars is debilitated in the sign or said not to be strong in the sign because Mars wants to go forward, usually. Mars yeah. wants to achieve, wants to acquire, and Cancer wants the exact opposite. Like, let's be nostalgic, let's go in the past, those sort of right. So I was, a lot of that stuff was coming up. Yeah. You know, I found this book and I'm going to put it on the screen. I mentioned it in another video this, this week that'll be airing, but I'm, I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to put it up here for see if I can find it. Anyway, it was like one of the profound Mars and cancer discoveries that I made was this book. Um, and I read it and it is, I feel like it is the quintessential Mars and cancer, um, book to read. Hold on. Let me put it up on, I'm going to put it up on the screen. So the, the title of the book is adult children of emotionally immature parents. <laughs> Boy, could this not be more accurate to the healing that was going on? Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. This yeah. book like landed in my lap through a friend's referral during Mars and Cancer. And I read it and it it's like, I'm not saying like it's the answer, but it's a really insightful book. And I felt like more, you know, in, in, for me, like insightful could also mean that it's insightful to me because it also helps me understand astrological placements too. Like that was kind of what sure. it was doing. But sure, yeah, sure, sure. For anyone out there who's yeah. like, hey, I'd like a little bit more Mars and Cancer, go read that book. <laughs> <laughs> if you didn't get enough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> With two eclipses ruled by Mars and Cancer, no less. Yeah, so, yep. That was, yeah, that was it. Well, let's take yeah. a look at our transits for the month yeah. that we are focusing on in the month of June. Today, we are going to be focusing on the connection between the whole sign house of Leo, if I can draw here and the whole sign house of Taurus. Now that's going to be positioned differently based on your rising sign. So we'll go through all 12 rising signs. But the reason that we are connecting with these two houses in particular is based on some of the major transits of the month. Now this month is relatively quiet compared to March, April, and May. In March, we had Saturn and Pluto changing signs. In April, we had eclipse and a majorly debilitated Mars. In May, we had another eclipse with a majorly debilitated Mars, and we had Jupiter moving into Taurus, and we had a T-square between Jupiter, Mars, and Pluto. Those were probably the, arguably the three busiest months of the year. Uh, astrologically, those were some fireworks, and it came pretty early in the year. June is, you know, it, it might seem by comparison sort of sleepy, but I still think that there's some big transits this month. And if we look at them, they tend to be happening across the Leo Taurus uh, square. So if, for example, we look <clears throat> early in the uh, early on in the month on June 5th, Venus will enter Leo. Now, one of the reasons that this is a big deal is because Venus is now co-present with Mars and Venus will be retrograding in the sign of Leo by late July. So effectively, we're now getting into a very long period of Venus staying in Leo and that there being a very deep level of work in that whole sign house. It begins in June, even though it'll be amplified quite a bit in July and August, and we'll be returning to talk about that in horoscopes later this summer. So Venus is entering Leo. What I find really remarkable about its entrance into 
Leo, is that just the day before, uh, on June 4th, we also have Mercury conjoining Uranus in the sign of Taurus. So there's a little bit of a, a pop happening in the sign of Taurus. And then the next day we have uh, Venus entering Leo. And then if you push it forward a little bit, by the 11th, then we start to have connections between these two houses. So it's like there's a little bubble popping in Taurus, and then there's a little bubble appearing in Leo. And then there's a connection between the two of them on the 11th. Here you can see that by the 11th, we now have Venus in the sign of Leo squaring Jupiter in the sign of Taurus. The two benefics, and Jupiter is in Venus's sign. So a really powerful and probably relatively smooth connection between these two planets uh, here into the month of June. So now we're starting to see these two signs connect. They both have their own individual important things happening early in the month, and then they start connecting by the middle of the month. We go forward toward the late part of the month. By the end of the month, we also get Mars squaring Uranus. So if we go forward to the 26th, then we have uh, Mars and Leo squaring, uh, squaring Uranus, and not far behind it, we have Venus coming into the square with Uranus. So if we take this forward just a little bit more, you'll see that that square is perfecting July 1st and 2nd. So the very beginning of July, Venus follows suit and also squares Uranus. Then in July, the connection between these two signs continues to develop in some really significant ways with Venus turning retrograde in Leo, going backward through the square with Uranus and Taurus, going backward through the square with Jupiter. Jupiter and Uranus are now co-present together in the sign of Taurus, which we've talked about on my channel already in terms of there being opportunities for rapid transformation, acceleration of growth and um, opportunities for positive expansion in ways that are unexpected, sudden, and very fast. That's very Jupiter Uranus. So there's this very powerful and pretty positive looking seeding and development happening in Taurus. Well, we also have a lot of change and development happening in Leo. That's what we're going to focus on this month and not really one transit in particular, but generally starting to talk about how are these areas of the chart connected archetypally and how could we see a conversation between these two places taking place uh, between now and really the end of the summer. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're going to do it as we always do, which is uh, I'm going to start off just saying what I think about the uh, transit uh, for the first, I'll, I'll start with Aries and I'll tell you what I think about the connections based on the Aries chart. Alex will fill in the blanks and uh, riff off from me and then we'll switch and Alex will go with the second sign and we'll alternate like that. Uh, so, um, but before we get into it, just any general impressions that you have about the astrology of this month and this summer, Alex? Well, I was thinking about it today where I was looking at this, Adam, and um... I think this, I think the star of this really is Uranus, even though Uranus makes the, the connections later on. I think Uranus is not necessarily comfortable for fixed signs, but is good for fixed signs. And I think that this these connections, especially Venus getting the one, two, three pass with Uranus and you know, stabilized by a really nice stable Jupiter. I, I see a lot of positive growth in directions that are new. And maybe that's challenging for fixed sign, especially for Taurus, but it ultimately can free you into spaces you had never imagined or considered before. So that's just kind of where my eye went when I was looking at this. Right. The fixed sign, one of the qualities of the fixed signs, whether we're talking about us as people or we're talking about patterns in our lives, is the tendency to be the same, to mm -hmm. repeat, to endure, to show kind of like consistency or fixity. And so Uranus, who tends to be a, a breaker of structures, but also an innovator of new ideas, new structures, new thoughts, I think I, I, I agree with what you're saying because it, it's, it's harder for fixed signs to deal with Uranus, who fundamentally likes to break up fixed things. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but also when Jupiter's with Uranus in a fixed sign, there's the sense of, what 
are we replacing the old thing with that's really exciting and new, like laying a foundation for something new? And I feel like that's sort of what's in the air in the sign of Taurus. Whereas when we look at Leo, you know, I think a lot of what Leo relates back to is the sense of um, what we take pride in, what we consider to be um, our legacy, what are we living for that's sort of greater than ourselves? It gives our, uh, our life a sense of specialness and special purpose or chosenness. And where do we take pride and dignity, you know, as individuals? Like, where do we find a sense of being special and an, an ego that has to be incorporated into our lives and given a special task of some kind? Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. it, so it's like there's the, you know, in Taurus, I don't, in Taurus, I think a lot about the, um, I think a lot about the substance of our lives and mm -hmm. uh, the, the like the ecosystems that support our lives. Uh, mm -hmm. In Leo, I really think about the the maintenance and development of a healthy ego. A lot, a lot of that mm -hmm. comes up in Leo. So the, the two are like figuring each other out a little bit right now. There, there might be some tension between the two. How does my ego fit into a new structure? Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with Leo too, it just, quickly, Adam, is that there's a wonderful line in the first season of The Crown where uh, Claire Foy as Queen Elizabeth says to the woman who's playing Princess Margaret, I can't remember her name, um, it's the monarchy that's supposed to shine, not the monarch. And I feel like there's something about this Leo idea of like, you're, you're learning about that you are channeling ideals, you are channeling something bigger, you're bringing something bigger through you, but you are not that thing. And you're learning how to deal with that sort of impermanence permanent nature of Leo, which is kind of a, it almost feels like a paradox in the sign. And I think Uranus's presence in the squares actually helps with that idea mm -hmm. of realizing like, what are you actually, you're embodying something bigger, but you're not that thing. And it's okay mm -hmm. that you're not that thing. That sort of idea. Yeah. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. I love that. Well, let's go into Aries for starters. We've got the connection. Ha Whoa. The big there one. it is. Adam, there you it did it. Dude, it's been so long. It has been a while. Welcome back. <sighs> Just you. welcome. It was Mars and Cancer. Just blame it on Mars and Cancer. I know. I know. Mars is in Leo. He's like, I'm back. <laughs> it's literally, Mars is literally an arrow in Cancer. I know. I'm, 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 I'm just so small. Leo, I'm back. All right. <laughs> so we have uh, Taurus. We have Taurus and Leo connected across the second and fifth house if you're in Aries. Uh, we're talking about Aries rising now. And whole sign houses, the second and fifth house connection is really interesting because <clears throat> we have um, the, the connection between these two houses has to do with things that support. The, the succeeding houses are supportive houses. The second house has to do with the things that we have at our disposal that literally prop up or support um, us psychologically and physically. So money is connected to the second house because it is a resource that can support us. Um, but so too would be like food or the garden that you have and the food that comes from it in the ancient uh, texts. Um, so anything that props us up, that supports us, that acts as a resource, <clears throat> which could also be the skills that we have um, or the things that we're developing that can end up supporting us somehow. And... Then in the fifth house, we're thinking about the things that support that support us on the level of fulfillment and joy. You know, we need to be supported psychologically with joyful, spontaneous, fun, romantic, interesting, pleasant experiences. So when I look at the two houses right now, for example, you could see a conversation about practical things that we need to do to support ourselves and whether that's interfering with the need for joy or happiness. Or on the other hand, some synthesis between the two. Am I feeling creatively fulfilled, happy, romantic, joyful? Am I having fun? On the other hand, um, you know, how does that, that joyful, the need for joy go along with the need to change systems or structures in my life that literally support and prop me up physically and materially? So there's a conversation between those two areas that I could also see being about creative synthesis between um, joy and, and resources. Uh, for example, when you go into business, a lot of people will try to find ways of doing things that they love and earning a living doing it, right? So that's like the classic question that's such a second house, fifth house question. How do I 
make a living doing what I love. The second two, that's two five right across the board. So anyway, I, I would say that those things are coming, that the conversation between these two areas are coming into focus for Aries over the summer. Yeah, and I would definitely say with Mars moving through the fifth house, like this is a, that's a courageous and bold signature. It's it's a like, you know, it, it just to use the phrase is kind of cliche, but go big or go home type of idea. Like taking a really strong initiative and maybe something that feels slightly scary, you know, like that feels like it takes like a little bit of courage to put yourself out there and be seen in such a big way. But that that has some major effect on your uh your financial abundance or your, your ability to feel like you have your resource within yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, Taurus comes next. What do you think about this one, Alex? I mean, I really like this for Taurus rising as an exploration of like where, so we're looking in Taurus rising, we're looking at, uh, Taurus of the first house and then Mars and Le uh, so we have Jupiter and Uranus and Mercury and then we have Mars and Venus moving into the fourth house. So I think like, there's something here about um, possibly individuation or uh, self-expression or stepping away from what might be considered a, um, uh, an ordained path in the fourth house, you know, stepping out on your own in an individualized way that really, from the family structures of the ancestry in some way, that really affects the way you're seen in the world. Hmm. Um, you know, we think of the first, first house often as, you know, it's the body and the mind and the psychology and emotions. But, you know, I always think of like the first house as your astrological high five. It's kind of how people meet you. It's like what they meet in you. And I feel like there's such a possibility for like really dynamic change that comes from that Mars and Leo giving a little bit of like um, a little shot of courage to just step out on your own, to be your own, you know, your own sovereign, so to speak. That's always the word I use with Leo that really changes the way people see you and interact with you and come into experience you. Yeah. I like the idea of individual growth and freedom that departs somehow from patterns of the ancestral or family past. Like that combination that you just mentioned really stands out to me. We're getting to revisit old patterns mm -hmm. from the, the family but because you're growing and you're, there's this kind of acceleration of personal growth and development with Jupiter and Uranus in the first house, you're, you're, you have the opportunity to do it differently this time. Yep. Almost like a generational crossroads where it's like, you now you can take the path that your father took or your grandfather took or something, or you could do this differently. And it's very, the, the, the choice may become very clear, for example, as Venus goes, your Senate ruler, Venus goes retrograde in July and August, for example. Mm -hmm. But the seeds of those developments are happening now. This month they start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just say quickly too, Adam, that, you know, there's, uh, it takes courage to do that, especially for a fixed sign to really step out and be like, you know, to make a different choice is not altogether easy. And I think Mars adds a wonderful level of strength and power and the conviction to do that. For sure. Gemini comes next. <clears throat> we have the 12th house and third house. This is really interesting because I feel like the more and more that I've studied the connection between 12 and three, the square between 12 and three, the more that I've come to the conclusion that this is one of those combinations that will often show up in terms of things that are in the unconscious that are trying to show themselves to you by making an appearance through something peripheral in the environment. Yes. Um, the 12th house is out of our view, right? It's sort of unconscious. You can see it, but you may not think it's a big deal. And it is, or you, um, there's some level of denial there, or you can't see it at all. It's sort of a secret malware that's running itself, or it's, um, it's a program that's taking up too much space and you don't know it, or it's a pro something that needs to be consciously integrated, but you don't know how to do it. But that's the 12th house. Now the third, on the other hand, Remember the third house called the joy of the moon. It was called Dia or goddess associated with household spirits in the daily round. The third house is where the unconscious or the gods speak to us through the everyday mundane things. It's the flickering light bulb that needs changing that suddenly in your, you know, in your office or something that suddenly leads you to realizing that there's something about your work that needs to change. You know, mm -hmm. it's just like a, like very, the, the third house is so much like the water is to the fish. And mm -hmm. 
but it's a very it's a place that has much more conscious availability to us. Um, and so when there's this connection between Mars and Venus and the 12th house planets, the 12th house planets are looking for some kind of breakthrough and revolution coming from the unconscious, all very positive stuff, but still in a space that's difficult to locate, but it's contacting Venus and Mars in the third. I get the feeling of like, you know, little antennas that are going to start sprouting up in the environment being like, you know, the, the, the plants sort of coming up and being like, here, here, we, here, here. Yeah. So I feel like just watch and observe this summer because the synchronicities and the things and people coming in and out of the environment around you, the everyday environment, your home life, the trip that you take to work, the, the office life, that just the everyday stuff that you inhabit commonly and regularly, little quirks in those spaces, little shifts in those spaces are going to lead to really significant big changes that will happen over time. And they, it won't seem like they're a big deal probably because the third house is so much uh, it's the stuff you see in the junk drawer every day. You know what I mean? We've said that. I think we said that last time, but it is. It's like, yeah, it's yeah. just such an everyday <clears throat> mundane place that you don't think that it's haunted and filled with interesting spirits who have things to say, but they do. So that's mm -hmm. how I would look at it uh, this month. What, what do you think, Alex? You know, the phrase that comes to mind at, from that, I, I love that way of putting it, Adam, is going through this summer, a phrase that will help is, huh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Just noticing, huh, Interesting. That's shown up three times. That particular thing shows up. And, you know, um, I think you couldn't have a better ally in the 12th house than Uranus right now yeah. um, for that in that regard. Like Uranus will make it even in a place that is shadowy and kind of secretive. Uranus is usually not subtle no matter, no matter where it is. So there's some, there's some sort of appearance of something that repeats or happens over and over. Or maybe it's something that's been happening for a long time in your environment that suddenly gets your attention. But it also helps you, you know, I think having Mars there in a place where you might not give it much thought, you might start taking a little bit more action on it. Or you might, you know, actually look up the animal speak book about what, you know, these three birds happen to mean in this one particular configuration that happened five days in a row. That sort of idea. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cancer rising. What do you think? All right. So cancer rising, you have uh, this is between Taurus and your 11th house and uh, Leo in your second house. I would say this is about interpersonal connections and how they benefit your finances um, and how they benefit the resources that you have. You know, one thing I, I've had actually a, a, a few cancer rising clients in the last few weeks, Adam, we've talked also about individual individuality or sovereignty and finances with Mars moving through Leo. And there might be something around like, you know, I could see with the connection of Jupiter here of blessings in terms of connections coming through your interpersonal networks that allow you to feel like you're a little bit more sovereign in your own money. You, you have, I think money can represent so many things, but one of the things that can offer often represent is independence. I can do what I want. I can go where I want. I can choose what I want, those sorts of ideas. So I think that, you know, if you're, if you have an eye this month to your networks, not necessarily always your relationships, but like what's coming to you through social media networks, through professional networks, through your, through your friend networks, and seeing how that might augment your ability to move with a greater sense of independence with your money. Yeah, I like that. I would say community, connections in community, developing allies and friends, and maybe business connections, financial connections, or even just the development of new resources through new groups and people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Leo. Um, we have in Leo... One of the more powerful connections, Leos are getting that Jupiter Uranus energy in an area that is really fantastic for career development. Um, Jupiter Uranus in that house is going to bring a lot of accelerated growth and opportunities professionally, but they're coinciding with having to do, take a really deep look at who am I? Where, what, what do I want out of life? What do I desire? How is my self-image or my psychology uh, or even my appearance changing in some way? alongside of a parallel track of growth and development professionally or publicly in terms of how I show up in the world, what I feel compelled to do with my time, my resources, my talents and abilities. I feel like it's, it's existential and professional for Leo's right now. And I'll just keep it that simple. Um, I think it's powerful because it's so succinct. And for most people who get excited about professional growth and personal development, like th th these are great transits. <laughs> 
Yeah. Thank you for describing my life right now, Adam. I appreciate it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's exactly, right. You're realizing. I always forget. Yeah, oh my God. It, it has been very existential too. You know, I, I feel like, um, I have gone through so many shifts and not only how I'm seen in my, my career, but even relationally now, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, in a relationship and I have been single for a really long time. And like oh, my whole self image is beginning to change faster than I can even begin to get my head around. But you know, it's a lot easier now with Mars in the first house, even though it's a little edgy today with Mars squaring the notes, but it's um, to, to feel like, you know what, I, I can be who the F I am. I, it, I don't have to hold back anymore. I've always felt like I'd have to hold back or have to sacrifice this or that. And my son's conjunct Neptune. So that's a little bit special case with me, but um, there's a sense of like, I can just go out there and like, you know, put on the peacock feathers and here I am world, you know, mm -hmm. and that feels that is that, that is going through a, sometimes a significant amount of discomfort. It, it can be uncomfortable to work through that, but the support is really well in place this month for all the signs and especially for this sort of existential development that Leo's are going through. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting period for, for the Leo risings because you've got this really long Venus retrograde in that house too, which yeah. is your career house ruler. And then a pretty positive Jupiter Uranus conjunction up there. It's like, I have to change because so many positive things are opening up. Oh, how difficult. I just don't know how to manage it. <laughs> yeah. I need another, a staff of 11. It's so hard to manage them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. But I love it because I'm a Leo rising. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. Take us, take us into Virgo oh. with, uh, with um, the Taurus Leo access. So, you know, the first thing looking at this this morning was I was thinking about like a really you know, with the 12th and the 9th house put together, we're looking at the 9th house of Taurus for you Virgos and for uh, Leo is the 12th house. There's some, this strikes me as actually quite a spiritual transit to put a very general term on it. There, there's something about the ability of how you synthesize or understand or even go through a complete shakeup within your, uh, the sort of academics of your spiritual life, what you're studying, what you're learning, the groups you're involved with or the, the texts that you study. And then how that might inform in the 12th house, um, how you de-layer the unconscious a little mm. bit, how you maybe um, maybe go feel like at the same time you're uh, de-layering the unconscious, it requires a very sort of um, contemplative or, or solitary experience. Encouraged to do that. You know, like I think of um, out in central Massachusetts, there's the IMS uh, Meditation Center. There's a part of that center where I think people go in for like a year to do a silent meditation retreat. And oh I'm not God. saying that's going to happen for every, I know for a year, I, one of my friends did too. And I'm like, more power to you. I couldn't keep my mouth shut that long, <laughs> but, but I mean, um, you know, it's that sort of idea, you know, there's that idea of like, that takes, that takes some courage that takes some yeah. real, you know, commitment and, um, not, not show up in exactly that way, but it's the type of idea that kind of percolates around these two houses with Mars and the 12th house particularly. Mm. By the way, if you like Alex Amorosi's wisdom, you can find him at www.alexamorosi.com or on Instagram at Alex Amorosi Healing. Forgot to plug you when you first came on, so we'll just make sure we do that. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree more uh, in terms of, well, I'll just put it this way. Religion, philosophy, learning, life direction as it relates to your beliefs is going through a lot of development and growth. There's a lot of opportunity there and a lot of excitement. However, I would say that there's some unconscious material, maybe also related to relationships or love or sexuality that have to be looked at along the way with Mars and Venus going through the 12th. Um, that there is unconscious material that is trying to present itself to you for healing or understanding at the exact same time that there's a lot of very excitable growth and development happening in the house of beliefs and learning. Mm -hmm. So that's how I would put it and just keep that in mind because you don't want to get so sometimes, you know, Jupiter Uranus in the ninth is like, it's like discovering astrology yeah. and you've been bit by the bug, but immediately when you learn astrology, for example, when you get excited about it, then you look at your own chart. Then it's not so exciting, you know. <laughs> I, 
and then you come running to a reading with an astrologer going with your hair on fire going oh my god (laughs) exactly so it's just something we've all been there you know it's just got to stay aware of the fact that with with growth in our beliefs and our mind and our spirit usually there will come tests and little pieces of the unconscious that say oh no you're ready for this okay let's take a look at it yeah. With Libra rising, we have the oh, we got a slightly bigger arrow that decided to come back. <laughs> Don't know why, just decided to. Mars uh, and Leo. I know. So I was like, let's just let's just do one bigger. How about just one? <laughs> I can't see that. <laughs> well, you know what? Come I'm going to pacify. No, no, no. I'm going to pacify the little spirits yeah. in the third house environment of this mundane activity. Yeah. You get to be big for the rest of today, my friend. See? You get to there be we big. Go. There we go. There we're we just go. gonna we're gonna give you give the dog a bone. All right. Shine your light. <laughs> <laughs> so we have the if you're a Libra rising, the connection is between a Leo in eleven and Taurus in eight. Now again, succeedant houses, so supportive houses, things that support us. In the eleventh, it's allies, it's groups, it's friends, it's colleagues, it's networks of people. In the eighth, it's the esteem of others and the special things that they grant you or give you or share with you for better or worse, sometimes blessings, sometimes curses. There's nothing worse than a snaky person who really likes you giving you some nice gift, you know, (laughs) but there's also nothing better than someone who really values you, you know, blessing you with something. So the eighth house is a complicated place, which is also why it was associated with the knowledge of both medicines and poisons. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So, um, what I would say is that we are looking very carefully at what kind of gifts and blessings are coming from other people, from groups, allies, communities, and which ones we can trust and which ones we should be a little bit careful with. And that there's, there's some discernment needed and there's a deep revision of groups and allies and friends and benefactors and the aid or assistance and forms of dependence or support that we receive socially and with especially in closer intimate relationships over the summer. For Libras, you're, you're, you're really having to look at that and say, what is okay to accept here? Um, mm-hmm. How am I changing my friendships based on, you know, sort of political, uh, political reasons? Like, well, I better not be with this person because this other person that I like that gives me something I need won't like it if I'm hanging out with this group or that person. It could be a lot of playing of games, you know? So yeah. I'd be a little bit careful about that with Libras um, this this summer, but also looking at how are my priorities and values shifting with the people that I share things with and the, the people that I find support or community with. Love that. It reminds me of, you know, my, my Sicilian grandmother used to say never uh, say thank you to an enemy that gives you a compliment because you accept the energy when you do yeah. that, you sort of take on the energy of it. You know, and I always say Sicilian is rife with, you know, these, these interesting sort of, you know, uh, folk remedy type ideas. But I feel like there's something really powerful there with, you know, just interpersonal and energetic connections. And just like Adam said, you know, being really mindful about what you're accepting and what you're tying together in a stronger way energetically and what you need to untie gracefully and walk away from. And you have Jupiter in the eighth house, which usually helps out. You know, Jupiter's in a pretty good position right now. So I think Jupiter will generally help in that in that regard. So you mentioned that you're, you have a Sicilian grandmother because my wife's maternal side of the family is Sicilian. And, <sighs> um, it, and she has like this, it's so amazing. I've listened to a lot of the interesting folk remedies slash superstitions and and actually my wife took a class one time online learning about like sicilian folklore Mm -hmm. and all the stuff and it's just it's really magical and fascinating it is yeah all right here you go scorpio all right right, so scorpio we've got um (laughs) the arrow of fate (laughs) pointing at your seventh house (laughs) um and so, I mean, you know, here here is a chance, I think, to really, uh, you know, for, for a rising sign that often likes to be in the shadows or a little bit behind the scenes or at least investigating in the dark. It's so interesting that there's, you know, you have Leo in your midheaven, which is, you know, one of the visible sign of the zodiac. And I feel like there might be something that is helpful here with just with this Mars in your Leo in your 10th house is 
the the willingness to step out of what might feel like often water signs need that sort of secret place and to just let yourself in some way more prominently be visible um you know take on something that makes you a little bit more visible that can also uh be stemming from or related to some shift or change within your relationships or your relationship style um you know i could see like maybe meeting somebody who you know romantically or you know something that happens with a partner that causes you to want to sort of um achieve remove or uh expand more in your career there's something that just is like you know what it's okay for me to be visible in a safe way in a really prominent way because i can always go back into this the place that feels a little bit more contained where water signs like to hang out usually yeah yeah i think I, I put these two together and I say, one thing that comes to my mind is when you're in a relationship, it can change how you want to be seen or how you present yourself to the world. You know, for example, when you become more committed, you may, um, and I, this is so like, I don't mean to suggest that this is a value that everyone should embrace, but some people might be like, I'm going to dress a little bit more conservatively. I don't want to give off the vibe that I'm you know, trying to appear attractive and look for a date. That's like an old school. I don't know. It's like we're in the 1940s or something. I'm so I don't mean to sound so conservative, but my point is back that, in my day, you know, long time ago. <laughs> well, uh, you could also, for example, um, yeah, your psychic boundaries change when you enter into relationships. Let's just put it that way. And, um, and at key moments in relationships, when people grow and change, they may realize that I need to uh, change or act differently as a way of safeguarding the serenity of my relationship or something like that. Whatever it is, my point is that there could be some expansion and development and changes in relationship that are making people rethink anything from the way they appear publicly to what they're doing for a living. Mm -hmm. Or changes in the workspace could lead to a reevaluation of things happening in relationships. E either way, I think they could influence each other. Let's go to Sagittarius as we're running a little short on time. Um, big arrow. <laughs> Ninth house, sixth house stuff. You know, sixth house, like a big, huge breakthrough in the sixth house. I would read that in a couple of different ways. The Jupiter-Uranus combination in the sixth, I would read on the one hand, as the potential for healing, mending, breakthroughs, redemption, and success as it comes through obstacles, hurdles, frustrations, difficulties, sicknesses, and setbacks. It's like, in other words, it has a feeling of overcoming, mending, healing, coming through a trial or a hard period of work and somehow overcoming it and, you know, having some grace or mercy descend from above and finding that things can be smooth despite a, a challenging period, even if it's just a period of hard work. But then when I see that it's also connected to Venus and Mars in the ninth, I think that, that the difficulty could be coming from something ninth house, like a, 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 a challenge to overcome um, an old belief system, mm -hmm. the hurdles we have to jump in ourselves, in the unconscious, when our belief system is outdated and starting to cause us problems. You know, that's hard to admit. It's hard to admit as someone myself who had to leave a religious tradition in the past year, it is really hard to admit that a change is needed, that there's something about our own way of looking at the world or the universe that's not serving us any longer. So um, changes in belief systems that require a, a big leap of faith and growth uh, a, a crisis of faith that needs to be overcome through some hard work or breakthroughs relative to things like learning and spirituality and stuff like that. Those are the things that come to my mind immediately. What about you? Yeah. Uh, you know, I would say something around like just putting, that's what I know from my Buddhist practice in a parable of the Buddha, you know, the Buddha went through it before he became enlightened a whole period of time where he did all these austerity practices, you know, for years and years and years. And then eventually came to the realization, like this didn't work. And he had to try something totally new. And that was the beginning of the process of going to sit under the, under the Bodhi tree. And I think that, you know, I, I always work when I work with clients or students around that, it's that idea of like, sometimes you just go to admit this thing either is either outdated or it just didn't work. And I got to try something new. I got to, I got to let myself move in a new direction. 
Um, and like you said, Adam, that can be a very difficult admission. That's a very yes. sixth house type of idea. Like, a, oh, shit. Wow. I'm going to move in a new direction now. And I never planned on having to do that in some way. Yep. Yep. That's exactly right. And let me just move. I'm going to advance the chart here. Uh, wait a sec. Did, did we, yes, we got to say, okay, so here we go. Let's get our, let's get that massive arrow. <laughs> All right. Here we go. <laughs> Capricorn. What do you think? I got to write some music for that arrow. All right. So, uh, <laughs> da -da -da. so, uh, we have Capricorn rise. We have, uh, your, the Taurus in your fifth house, uh, interacting with Leo in your eighth house, uh, Mars. Mars here in the eighth house is really interesting because I could I could see this as the severing of some older, outdated, maybe toxic bonds that need to degenerate and just be just be sort of left behind in order so that you can just fucking enjoy yourself. Pardon my French, but like so you can you can find some creative, diff, creative understanding that brings you some amount of joy and pleasure. And I think you know. Both you and I have talked about this, Adam, how it can be difficult sometimes with Capricorns, right? To find that sense of like, I can just let myself relax, enjoy, create, or relax. You know, when I work with Capricorn rising sometimes too, like, well, relax and have fun in your way. What's fun and enjoyable to you? Like, it might not be the same if it, as if it was like a Gemini, but, you know, what, what really brings you fulfillment and supports you in enjoyment, not just work? And that, you know, Mars there, I, I just keep seeing that as like, there might be some energetic ties, whether that's to other people, whether that's soul contracts, whether that's, um, you know, metaphysical or physical that will allow you to feel like you have the ability to, to claim that sense of individual mm. uh, pleasure and creativity. Yeah, I love that. I, I, I think that there's something here about creative or even... Um, you know, th th there's validation that can be given or granted creatively through other people mm -hmm. right now. And that's really important at times that we meet people who say you're, 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 you are somehow your creative way of being in the world is attractive to me or is valuable to me or could be lucrative or something like that. Um, and also the lessons that we learn about how much we care about what other people mm -hmm. think. Uh, I think mm -hmm. those are some of the things that come to my mind. So going forward to Aquarius, uh, we have the connection between Taurus and Leo uh, with the fourth and seventh houses. So the revolution is at the roots for Aquarians. Uh, revolution at the roots means shifting foundations in your life over the next year uh, with Jupiter and Uranus in that house together now. Um, but right now, over the summer, the shifting foundation, let's call it, which is ancestral, familial, it has to do with land or property or living environment, has to do with what gives you a sense of security in, in the world, uh, a sense of at-homeness. As there are major changes happening there, there is also a, a pretty significant um, period of reflection and change that's going to happen with Venus retrograding in your seventh house of love and relationships. So the foundation is shifting as relationships are shifting. That's a, that's a big combination. One of the more powerful combinations, uh, not so different from Leo's where we saw it in the 10th and the first identity and public professional life here. It's home family roots and, and like love and relationships. So big, big stuff for Aquarians, especially it makes sense given that Pluto's just entered your first house, that there's a lot of change happening. And, and it seems like one of the first, levels at which it will affect you will be around home, family, and love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I, I think that there's a sense with this of, you know, the what we might suddenly come to understand or suddenly come to see within home might see that through, you know, ancestry, you know, your, with Uranus's presence there it really affects the way that you take action within or move towards or move within your romantic relationships. But yeah, I agree, Adam, you know, the, the Leo Aquarius axis is getting the angular placement of these transits. That's really powerful. Yep. 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 Last but not least, we've got Pisces. Mm -hmm. Oh, Pisces. So first Pisces, it's going to be okay. I just want to say, <laughs> no, you're, 
Um, you know, this is something interesting too. We were talking about uh, the, the third house before, as you know, Adam and I kind of refer to it as the junk drawer. It's just this, you know, the house that we kind of put everything in, but it's around us every day in such a way where we we rarely even notice it. It's like the fish that's in the ocean doesn't know it's in water. Um, this is some healthy, uh, possibly uncomfortable, but you know, good disruption within that. And I mean, I could see something within these, the third house of Uranus there is like something is really clearly brought out of the background for you to see that helps you in your sixth house of Leo with Mars there um, to, you know, have some, have some real courage to move through what might be a challenge that will feel ultimately like it was well worth it by the end. Um, yeah. You know, it might be something that comes up suddenly for that. Yeah. Yeah. I just look at that and I think to myself, it's like you're, it's like the heavy, it's like you have psychic furniture that needs to be moved around in the environment and it's going to take some, some work and maybe even some kinds of conversations uh, or healing that has to be done in key relationships. But nonetheless, the furniture still has to be moved psychically. It's like, yeah. it's going to happen. It's exciting that it's happening. And it might, there might be some hurt feelings or some people that there might be some injured pride or some, some sense of loyalties that are being challenged or tested uh, along the way and, and mending of thing mending of, relationships and coming together of hearts that has to happen so that the furniture gets moved. Agreed. Yeah. Um, well, I think we did a good job and, uh, hopefully we've given all of you guys some really good things to think about this month. Um, we will be of course back in July to look at that Venus retrograde again, and probably in August we'll be continuing to look at it. It has some, some really big aspects in August with the Venus retrograde to Uranus and Jupiter. So, yeah, it's a big summer. It, I, I mean, I'm actually really thankful that it's not, I don't think it's as big as the past couple of months were in terms of really gnarly, intense stuff. But there are some big ones with the, the especially across the Leo Taurus axis. So hopefully we've, we've, again, equipped you with some archetypal discussion that will help you notice, notice and work with the energies of the season. I want to point you again to Alex's work. AlexAmorosi.com if you want to book a reading or have uh, a session with Alex. Couldn't recommend Alex's work highly enough. That's why I have him on every month. Instagram, Alex Amorosi Healing, uh, where you can also find him making some pretty awesome uh, astrological content. So <laughs> always gives me a good chuckle. Good. Uh, Alex, thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Adam. Yeah. And everyone out there, uh, we hope you have a great month of June, and we will see you again soon. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.